So we're moving into our third week of the Follow Me series. And basically, if you've missed the first two, what we're doing in this series is we are learning from Jesus, learning from the Master what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So we, as followers of Christ, we're here at the church. Uh, some of you maybe haven't made that commitment, but, but most of you are here and you have made a commitment to follow Jesus. And it's not like it was for the original disciples that we see in Scripture where they're walking around every day and they see Jesus and they hear Jesus. And it's a little different for us, but I believe, I believe that, that God gave us His words so that we could hear from Jesus every day. And I believe that every time we read God's Word, we know a little bit more about Jesus and about the heart of God. And so what we're doing in this series is we're trying to learn from, if you're going to learn something, who better to learn from than the Master, Jesus. And so this week we're going to look at our third teaching. The first two weeks we looked, the first one we looked at the teaching that no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God with all your heart while at the same time serving money or fame or yourself. The second week we talked about the fact that what matters most to God is your heart. You can show up to church, you can go through all the motions, you can do everything right, but if your heart is not in the right place, you're missing it. God is most concerned with the heart. Today we're going to look at uh, a little story in Matthew chapter 18. I love this. I love watching Jesus teach his disciples because he's got such a great way of going about it. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. I'm going to read it to you real quick. It'll be up on the screen, and then we'll talk about it. It's in, in verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, instead of saying, Well, it's you, and then you, and then... See, the disciples want to know, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a little child to him, and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So I want to set the stage for you here. This is moving on in Jesus' ministry. In fact, this is kind of right before Jesus is going to head into Jerusalem and, and the disciples have seen miracles and the disciples have seen really cool things happening and they've been believing more and more and they've been taking more and more part in the great things that Jesus has done. And all of a sudden, uh, um, Jesus starts talking about what's going to come. He starts talking about his death, and he starts talking about the kingdom. And so the disciples are, are thinking about this kingdom that's being established. And when we think about kingdoms, what do we think about? Turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think about when you think about a kingdom. Go ahead. Come on. Talk. So, so the disciples are thinking about this coming kingdom. Or you can stop talking now, it's cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the disciples are thinking, all right, the kingdom's coming. And, and their first thought, and keep in mind, these guys have been following Jesus, they've been hearing his teachings, they've been seeing all the things that Jesus has done, he's been preaching and teaching to them, and their first thought is, well, we need to figure out our place in the kingdom. If this kingdom's going to be established, then 
Where do I stand in the pecking order? Do, where am I at? Am I the greatest? Am I the third greatest? And, and so the disciples are thinking kingdom, but ultimately they're really thinking about themselves. And they ask the question to Jesus, who is the greatest in your kingdom? We do this all the time, don't we? We are obsessed, let's be honest, we are obsessed with measuring ourselves against others. Maybe you're a sports fan, maybe you're not. I'm a huge sports fan, I talk about it all the time, I'm sorry. But one of the biggest conversations you hear anywhere right now, especially in the sports world, is LeBron or Michael Jordan. Who is the greatest? They call it the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And who is the best? Is it LeBron? Is it Michael Jordan? Newsflash, it's Michael Jordan. But um, we, we, who's the best? Is it Tom Brady or is it Joe Montana? Who is, we're obsessed with putting things in order. We can't even like two restaurants together. You either like Skyline or you like Gold Star. I like Gold Star. I am in the minority there. We, we have to settle this. We're all about these lists. In fact, I spend a decent amount of my time talking to people about these basketball. I love basketball, and, and I can sit for hours and talk to my friends about who belongs where on the order of the basketball kingdom. But when, when the disciples thought kingdom, they thought, well, I need to know where I rank. I need to know who the best is. I, I need to know where I stand. I'm going to be, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Well, I just told you I like to talk about these things, but I'm going to be totally honest with you and say that one of the issues that I have, we talked last week about heart issues, we talked about um, the things that are, that, that, that are a part of our heart that keep us from fully following Jesus, and, and I'm just going to be really honest with you and tell you one of those things is that I like to measure myself up against other people. I hope I'm not the only one here because I'll feel really bad, just nod with me and make me feel good, but, um, but like when I walk into a room... And this has been this way my whole life. I see the other people in the room and I, I start to think, okay, you know, where am I at here? Now, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm really crazy or anything. It's not that bad. But, like, but when I think about things, I often find myself comparing myself to other people and thinking about where I'm at in, in the order. This is something that that we do. And so the disciples, the disciples are there and they're asking this question, who is the greatest? They're, they're asking the question, who is the goat, the greatest of all time in the kingdom of heaven? So I just want to go, just for fun, let's look at Peter's, Peter, one of the disciples, let's look at his goat resume, greatest of all time resume. It's pretty good. Peter is the one that, that was always stepping out on faith and doing cool things. Peter is the one that starts walking on water before he fails walking on water. Peter is the one that, that just previously to this declared that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus turned around and said, this, Peter, you are the rock and on the rock I will build my church. So we got Peter who's he's a good candidate for, for the greatest of all time, Right? And we've got these other disciples who have been walking with Jesus, and if I know the disciples, because they're probably a lot like us, they're walking along, and, and they're thinking, hey, when he blew it, I didn't blow it. I was good. Hey, I've been faithful the whole time, God. I may not have stepped out on faith like the others, but I've been right by your side the whole time. Remember when you needed this and I was there for you? 
And, and I've been unwavering. And so these disciples are they're trying to figure out where they're at on the order. Let me ask you a question. What does your spiritual resume look like? What does your greatest of all time, what does your disciple of Christ resume look like? If you listen for very long in the church, you'll hear people talk about their resume. I'm a fourth generation Nazarene. Sorry, Dale. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a fourth generation Nazarene, or, or hey, I've been in church my whole life, or you know, I've done this, I've accomplished this, I haven't missed a connection class in four years. Woo! I'm awesome. And, and I, I'm not. I'm not trying to. You guys are great, but but we we have a resume in our head, don't we, of where we're at and how we have performed. What does your resume look like? I'm going to guess that there are some of you in here that, that have faithfully served God for a long time. Dale, that's you. There's a lot of us in here that I think have faithfully served God for a long time. And, and I'm going to guess that there's a lot of you that have done a lot of really great things and you've been faithful. And, and it would be easy for you to start stating your resume and think, I'm probably pretty high up there on the list. The problem with this mentality, the problem with this resume idea is it, it makes us start to think that this is about us, that my greatness in the kingdom is measured by what I accomplish, by how great I act or how Christian I act or how many times I go to church or how many generations of, of Christians are in. We start to think this is about us. And, and that's the mistake that the disciples made. And we can make the mistake of thinking that we can earn or achieve greatness in the kingdom of God by our actions or even our spirituality. That's not what it's all about. I have a friend that is a pastor. And several times I've, I've been with this friend and he's always talking to me about how if he just can do this, then he'll be set and he'll have it made and, you know, his career will be perfect and, you know, his career trajectory will be this and that's the mentality that the disciples have here. They're worried about where their standing is. And for those of you that have a great Christian disciple resume, I, I hate to break it to you, but this is all about the amazing love and grace and power of God. It's not about me. It's not about what I've accomplished because the truth is on our own, none of us, none of us can be holy. None of us can be Christ-like apart from the power of God. You can have a terrific voice, you can, you can have all the skills in the world, but without God, you got nothing. And so this, this, this list mentality, this greatness mentality is a problem. And the simple fact that the disciples are worried about where they're at on the list tells us that they have been missing the point. Jesus is about to go. He's just warned them that he is going to go and die. So this is the great king, Jesus, the ruler, the king of all. And he's just said... I am going to die. 
This great king is not about his own greatness. He's about giving it all up to serve and to love others. So if you're building your resume, stop it. It's not worth it, and you cannot build a resume that will make you great in the kingdom of heaven. It's all about God. And so the disciples ask the question. They're in the wrong place. They say, who is the greatest? And, and they get their answer, but it's not as usual with Jesus. It's not the answer they were hoping to get. They were hoping for a list like, well, it's Peter, and then it's James, and then it's John. And that's not what Jesus does. No, what Jesus does is he calls a child to him. Now, a child. Now, in this culture, a child is not a well-thought-of person. A child hasn't earned anything. In this culture, a child was insignificant. They were, they were somebody, I read something about it, they, um, they, were, they were somebody to be, to be cared for, but not somebody to be looked up to. And so pulling a child into this conversation and putting them in the middle of the disciples must have been such a weird thing because the disciples are talking about greatness and Jesus calls in a child who is the epitome of dependency and low, lowness, lowliness and insignificance in that culture. No offense to our young people, you guys are significant, but in this culture that's that's what that looked like. And Jesus calls this child, and we know that this child is not one of the Mahaffey children because the child immediately comes. I'm trying to keep you awake. Come on. But this child comes, and Jesus puts him in, in the middle of the disciples, and he says this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never Enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples had to be sitting there thinking, What? What? I've been with you this whole time. I've done miracles with you. I gave up everything to follow you. I, what are you talking about? Unless I become like this little child, I can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought I was already in. I just wanted to know my place. And the disciples had to be sitting there thinking, what is going on here? But Jesus says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that we must become like little children. And, and to top that off, it's not an extra thing we do. It's not like, hey, if you guys will become like this little child, you will be greater in the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear the, the authority in that? Do you hear the importance of that? It's not about, this is an extra thing you can do. If you do this, your resume just builds a little bit more. It's, no. Unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Becoming like a child is not a bonus to our faith. It is required of our faith. I want you to hear that today. We're going to look, about what that, we're going to look at what that means in just a second. But unless each of us becomes like a little child in that day, insignificant, lowly, to be cared for, not someone that was well thought of, but somebody that, that took our time and our energy, and unless you become like a little child, the little child that the disciples had to be scratching their head about, unless 
you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's required of our faith. So what does, it mean? what does he mean when he says become like a little child? He says whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The, uh, an- another text says unless you humble yourself to the position of this child. And, and that word humble in scripture actually just means to make low. To bring yourself lower, to reduce who you are to a lower state, to be in a humble condition, um, to assign a lower rank. So think about this. The disciples are saying, where do I rank on the list of the greatest? And Jesus says, you need to rank yourself low like a child or you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so do you see the different mentalities there? The disciples are how high am I ranked? And Jesus says, you need to humble yourself. You shouldn't be worried about this. You should be here. And, and so instead of searching, constantly searching for greatness, instead of trying to grow my value or my Christian resume, instead of becoming more and more independent, because this is something we do as Christians, we become more and more independent in our faith, Instead of that, we should be humbling ourselves, becoming like little children. And this is, this is Jesus' teaching here. This is huge. Donald McLeod put it this way. This is an article I read this week. I loved how he said it. He said that being like a child means these three things. Number one, knowing little. Number two, bringing nothing. And number three, needing all. Knowing little, bringing nothing, needing all. Knowing little. I don't know what age it is, but kids at some point start to think that they know a lot. You guys that are parents know this. Like my, my kids, like when they're little, they don't know, they know that they don't know much. They, I mean, they don't even talk about it, but there's a certain age, and, and I think a few of mine have reached it, where they get to the point that they start to think that they know what's what. And we constantly have discussions, I don't want to say arguments or fights, but we constantly have discussions with with one or two of our kids about what they know to be true versus what is really true. And we do this in our faith. We come to Jesus, and at first it's, I I just want you, Jesus, I just... I don't know anything, I want to grow to be like you, but then as we start growing, we start to think that we know. We start to think that we know how, how the perfect worship service should go, what the perfect worship music sounds like. We start to think that we know exactly how everybody should behave, and we start to think that we know something. But ultimately, it's like arguing with my kids. We know We know nothing. <laughs> We have nothing compared to the almighty creator, God. We know nothing, bringing nothing. Oh, man, we just had blast. And guys, you guys are super talented teens. I was very impressed, very impressed. And some of you are super talented. Some of you have great voices. Some of you are really good with people. I'm impressed by you guys. But the truth of the matter is we bring nothing to God. Because on our own, as I said, we cannot do anything for the kingdom apart from the power of God. 
There are people who have the greatest voice in the world, and they end up pushing people away from God's kingdom and creating havoc. Because our talent, what we bring to the table, is nothing without God's power. You can be the greatest speaker in the world, but if God isn't in it, you lead people astray. And so sometimes we start to think that we're bringing something to the table. In fact, I think we get the mentality that, hey, I'm pretty good, and if I could just get a little bit of God's power to come alongside my greatness, woo, we're going to do good things. Now, Jesus says become like a little child, knowing little, bringing nothing. Man, and, unless you come empty before God and say, I'm nothing without you, God. I need you, God. And that leads us to the third one, needing all. Needing all. Whether you realize it or not, you need God for everything. And it's easy to start thinking that, that you can be independent. It's easy to start thinking that, that, that you have it on your own. And, and if you do, you're missing it. Because we need God. Sometimes churches make this mistake. We think that we can do it in our own power. We think that we have the formula to build the kingdom. But the truth is, do you know who builds the kingdom? It's God. It's not me. It's not us. It's not anything we can do. It's God. And we can have a formula. And I promise I've seen this in churches. We can have a formula, and it can seem like it's going well, but ultimately only God's power and God's grace and God's love can build God's kingdom. And so Jesus says, become like a little child, knowing little, bringing nothing, needing all. This is the picture of the child that Jesus is talking about this is what we are called to do, to change and become like this, a low, a dependent, an unassuming, an unqualified, a humble child of God. That's what we are called to be. And this isn't just a nice suggestion. It's imperative. Unless we become like little children, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. We have to humble ourselves and if we're being honest today, if I'm being honest today, which I am, <laughs> good news, I am. <laughs> if I'm being honest today, I struggle with this. And we all struggle with this because our natural inclination is not to humble ourselves. Our natural inclination when we do something and it goes well is to think that it's about us. Our natural inclination is to start to think that we're on to something. God can do something miraculous. I've seen it time and again. God can do something miraculous that has nothing to do with the person, and the person can start thinking it's about them. But we have to humble ourselves. And, and Jesus says in the language, he says, unless you change and become like little children. Becoming like a child is not a natural thing. It's something that requires change. And so the question is this. How can we change to be humble like a child? If this, if this child is what, it, what we have to be to enter the kingdom of heaven, if we have to change and become like a child, but if that's not our natural inclination, our natural inclination is the list and the greatness and, and the resume, how do we go from this mentality to being a humble, lowly child of God? I've got three things. 
Number one, I think we need to know ourselves and we need to know our Father. We need to know ourselves and know our Father. We had an awesome moment in the car last night. Charlie is four years old. Sam is seven years old. Sam has entered into the phase of knowing everything and, and um, not being so nice to his daddy sometimes. And we were, I, I think Eli, Eli's apparently, Eli's our 10-year-old. He's been listening to my conversations about LeBron James and how I don't like him. And he started talking about how LeBron James is a crybaby and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and Sam says, in typical Sam fashion, he says, Daddy's a sore loser and Daddy's a crybaby. And sweet, sweet Charlie, and I say sweet, sweet Charlie kind of joking because, because I had to walk Charlie to his class today so he wouldn't misbehave, but, um, but sweet, sweet Charlie says, oh no, daddy's a winner, daddy's the best, daddy never loses, daddy's great, and Sam said, no way, daddy's a sore loser, he's a, he, oh no, he's, no, daddy's the best. And see, the problem is when we start to think we know everything, and listen, I'm not, I, I do lose, and I can be a sore loser, um, but, but our Father in Heaven is not, and our Father in Heaven does not. And so if we know ourselves and we know our Father, man, I love Charlie's attitude. I, I mean, not just because he was saying nice things, but I love his trust, and I love the way, I love the way he, he loves me, and he looks up to me. And I think if we really understood our emptiness, and if we really understood the greatness of our Father in heaven, we'd be a child instantly. Because I wouldn't want to rely on my little bit, my nothing. I would want to rely on God's creative, loving, graceful power. And so number one, we got to know ourselves, and we got to know our Father. We do that. Through reading God's word, we do that through spending time. I mean, they walked with Jesus. They saw his power. We do that through knowing our Father. Number two, we need to seek opportunities to depend on Jesus. One of the mistakes we make as Christians is we, we start to think that we've got this under control and we start to stop taking risks we're really good at managing our lives. We live in an affluent society. We live in a, a pretty good time, and we have everything we need. And if you don't, you just get a credit card and go get it. Sorry, Dave Ramsey, but, but like we have everything we need, and everything's controlled, and we can get to a place, whether it's in our personal life or whether it's in, in the church, where we stop stepping out on faith and trusting God. Man, if, if you're not... Stepping out on faith and trusting God, you're not experiencing God's power and God's grace at work in your life. And so we have to know ourselves, know the Father. Number two, we need to seek opportunities to depend on God. We need to live by faith. And number three, we need to model ourselves after Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus humbled himself. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. Even though he was God, he became humble and low. He became the lowest of the low. He was spit on. He was beat. He was tortured. He hung on a criminal's cross. And he knew when he was teaching this that that's where he was going. We model what we see. We live what we see from Jesus. And we humble ourselves. We put others First, 
And so I know that this is a tough message because I'm saying, you know, you want to be here, but you need to be here. But I got good news today. And that's this. If you will humble yourself and become like a child, if you will rely totally on Jesus, if you will understand that you know little, that you bring nothing, and that you need all from God, you're going to experience life. You're going to experience eternity in a way that you can never imagine. We've got some baptisms coming up, and I wrote some notes this morning and just said, if you will just follow God, I promise you will experience God's blessing like you can never imagine. And I know it to be true because I've seen it over and over and over again. And so we have these disciples coming to Jesus, thinking about their own greatness, thinking about themselves. I want to I show you another example. And, and this is from Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul. If you've never heard of Paul... He was kind of a big deal in the Christian faith. He, he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He was, he was a successful Jewish religious person. He was looked up to. He had a place of high standing. Paul was kind of it in the resume category. But look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 11 with me. It says this, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is... Kind of cocky sounding, kind of arrogant. He says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee. In other words, he followed the law to a T. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Now that sounds bad, but, but in where he was, he thought he was doing God's work by persecuting the church, and, and he was known for it. As for righteousness based on the law faultless. Never had a problem. Paul's saying, this is my resume. But look at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. All of it, all the resume, all of it is nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to what he says. I consider them garbage. Think about your resume. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, through dependency, through leaning on Christ and faith. <clears throat> I lost my place. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so what we see is the disciples, hey, where do I rank? Where am I in the kingdom? What's my spot? And for Paul, who had the resume, Paul says, it's all nothing compared to knowing my Savior, my Lord. I would give it all up in a moment just to know and experience Jesus. And so the good news is this. 
if you will humble yourself like a child, if you'll get past this resume mentality, if you'll get past this I'm great mentality, if you'll get past this I can earn my way to heaven because you can't, if you'll humble yourself, the good news is this, you will experience blessings far beyond what you could ever experience up here. The truth is the more we grow spiritually, the more we mature, the more we should know that we know little, we bring nothing, and we need God for everything. In verse 8, Paul says, to know Christ. Then he, he, he went from being a man who lived in comfort and living a good life to, to a man who spent time in jail and prison for the sake of the gospel. He gave up comfort. He gave up status to suffer. In verse 10, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings. Paul humbled himself to become like a child. And and, and then the third thing, ultimately he sacrificed all becoming like Jesus. He followed the example of Christ and humbled himself and gave everything, gave all of it for God. Why? Let's look at verse 10. Well, let's look at verse 10 and 11. It says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That doesn't sound fun. That sounds terrible, but what comes next? And so, somehow, attaining the resurrection from the dead. The truth is, we we know how this story goes. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. He became the lowest of the low, but when he died, he rose from the dead, and God lifted him up to the highest place. And so Paul says, I want to know the low. I want to be a child. I want to experience the suffering because one day I want to experience the glory of God. I want to spend eternity in his kingdom. This is huge. We can't miss this today. We are called to be like little children. We are called to take all of the good things we see in our life and to throw them out and to trust wholeheartedly on God. And the good news is this, if you will suffer, if you will be low, if you will humble yourself, God's power, God's grace, God's love is more abundant than you can ever imagine. And you will experience an eternity of God's grace and God's love and God's power. And so we're going to close the service. The band's going to come up. And we're going to sing a song, and and we're going to close the service with one of our favorite things that we do, and that's baptism. We've got six people who are going to come and be baptized today. And, and, And so as they come to be baptized, I want you to understand the significance of what's happening here, because what we do in baptism is we take the person and we dunk them underwater, and that symbolizes death to self. That symbolizes this This humbleness, this I am going to die to self, I'm going to take the resume and I'm going to throw it out and I'm going to become totally dependent on God. But then we lift them out of the water and we understand that if we become like children, if we humble ourselves and we die to self, that we will be resurrected with God. And so it's a celebration and we're going to celebrate together today. But as we celebrate with the six people who are going to be baptized, I want to encourage you to daily, daily die to self. Because the truth is the disciples at one point totally relied on God. 
They totally relied on Jesus. They walked with him. They learned from him. They knew that they didn't know anything. They depended completely. But, but the truth is, our nature is to start to think it's about us. And I don't care how long you've been doing church. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many times you've, you've been to church or gone to connection class or what generation you are. Every day, you need to commit to not making it about me and what I can do, but fully trusting and leaning on God, humbling yourself. And so today as we celebrate in baptism this, this commitment and this sign in the lives of these six people, I want you to once again commit yourself to God's purposes. I want you to lay down the list. I want you to lay down the greatest discussion, and I want you to offer yourself wholly to God. Father, we love you today. I thank you for this wonderful church and these wonderful people. I thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together. And, and I really do mean these are great people, Lord. But honestly, we are nothing compared to you. And so we're going to sing together and then we're going to celebrate together as, as six people show their, the sign of their commitment to you and their dying to self and being raised with you. But Lord, I pray that each and every one of us right now would humble ourselves, would put away any thought of us being great, and would wholly depend on you. We love you, Jesus. Be with us.